Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Juice in the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corbin Heller. And welcome back. We did our best, but we missed a couple weeks. So well. Um, anywho, we are here today to talk about the uh, 2021 Golden Globe nominee, Don't Look Up, and the 2019 film, Honey Boy. Uh, but before we get started, since we last recorded Corwin Heller, they actually already had the Golden Globes, which were untelevised, and I think everyone forgot what's happening. Um, I forgot it happened myself. Yeah, the, the winners got announced. Do you want to go through them at all? Do we care? Mm. I'm not sure how much I care, only, mm. especially because we haven't seen most of the movies yet. We're still going through the nominees list, getting ready for the Oscars. Do you care? No. All right, then I don't care. Uh, so where would you like to start, my friend? Would you like to start um, with, with, with a movie about the film industry or with a movie about global warming? Uh, again, uh, reiterating uh, back to my previous answer, I don't care. All right. Well, uh, let's start with Don't Look Up. I have no good reason. It's the first movie I had open in my web browser. Sure. So Don't Look Up uh, came out this year. It was written and directed by Adam McKay with a story by David Sirota. Um, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, and uh, whoever your favorite actor is, they're, they're also in this. Yeah, uh, them, them, them too. They, they got all of them. They got every one of them. Um, it had an estimated budget, did it? We don't know. Um, this, is, this is a Netflix product, so we don't know anything about the financials of it. We'll never know. Uh, such is life. This film's tagline was based on truly possible events, which is cute, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Sure, indeed. <laughs> um, this film was nominated for the following Golden Globes. This was nominated for uh, Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy for Jennifer Lawrence, Best Performance by an Actor in a Musical Picture, Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy for Leonardo DiCaprio, and Best Screenplay for Motion Picture for Adam McKay. It won none of them, um, since we now know the award winners no this was my pick i was gonna say this was your pick this is my pick so I, not. Uh, yeah i i will get us started punk bitch uh i hated this i hated this so much i hated the whole thing start to finish did not enjoy this i can't believe people like this um it's just not an interesting movie it 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 feigns to be uh, satire but the comedy is basically just the point of the comedy I should say is really just these people suck don't they and it's like yeah yeah I also hate them that's that's nice it's it's a series of it's like that uh that aqua teen hunger force quote which amounts to it ain't funny but I get it um <laughs> look at this lady she's like Trump isn't she yep yeah, she is. You gotta, we got anything else? To say? Oh no, the, oh they're bad. Yeah, no, I know they're bad. Are they doing it for political gain, monetary gain? Yeah, no, I, I, I assumed that too. I, I too, have had more than five days on this earth. Um, and it was that for about two and a half hours, and man, there was no good jokes. There's no really great performances here. It's a lot of everyone just kind of being and fuck me sideways. The storyline I did not care about. Why have Leonardo DiCaprio cheating on his wife? Who gives a shit? Who cares about that entire subplot? Why did Jennifer Lawrence take a side job working at a grocery store when she knew the world was going to end in like six months? Also, they never mention how long it has been between the point at which there was six months and however many days when Jennifer Lawrence broke down crying in that newsroom all the way up until there was 25 days left because she checked that diet app. 
there was no mention of how much time had passed between those two points. I mean, oh my God. Uh, I found Timothy Chalamet to be very fucking annoying in this, which is hard. I love that little fucker. I was so annoyed. I did not like him in this. I, I really like top to bottom T to B hated this entire thing. You are just such a curmudgeon. I thought this was a very fun, enjoyable movie that, yeah, it made me rip my goddamn hair out, but I enjoyed ripping my hair out while watching it. I thought it was funny. I enjoyed the jokes. Everyone I've watched this with has enjoyed the jokes. I just, I don't understand why it needs to, you know, be this, uh, I don't even know, but I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. I enjoyed the characters. I didn't care that we didn't know exactly how much time had passed. I don't think it mattered. I think the story made, you know, complete sense. And I enjoyed the aspect of it that was just a narrative storyline that was, I thought, pretty good satire for what's going on in the world today. And guess what? If this happened today, it would happen likely a lot like this. I enjoyed it. Fuck you. I, I don't disagree that it would happen like I think part of Adam McKay's problem here is that the real world is already this ridiculous. Like it, and this has been made by a comment that's been made by comedians for, I mean, the past few years now, which is it's hard to even satirize this because of how ridiculous it feels as though life has gotten. And that's put on for me, that's put on display in this movie. Like, I don't find this funny or interesting at all because it's like, yeah, I, I know these aren't even caricatures. These are literally just impressions. And it, it's tough for me to be like, wow, that's so like when we watched uh, Death of Stalin on the show and they're making fun of all of these uh, Russian government people and they're all playing caricatures of the Russian government people. Uh, certain ones are certain ones are playing it straight, but regardless, they're playing caricatures. And we can understand that and appreciate that, that Michael Palin is not a serious Russian oligarch. Um, But when fucking what's her face, uh, Meryl Streep, you know, one of the most famous actresses of all time. Uh, (laughs) When Meryl Streep is playing uh, female Donald Trump and playing it so hammed up, it's still not a caricature because that's how ridiculous our last president just was. And so it's it's tough for me to, to watch it with any, you know, like glib smiles because it's like, yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, that's who that guy was. I I know. Like Jonah Hill's character just drove me fucking insane. I hated that character because yeah, that's who that guy was. I I got it. Like this was just a series of dude and bro jokes that I think only work if you only really care for dude and bro jokes. And even like out of any context, because the context they were in weren't very funny. But you're not laughing ever with Jonah Hill's character. I no, you're not, you're I I, I to differ. I believe Jonah Car- Jonah Hill's character is there to be laughed with. I don't know he's, how he's, you could say that. He is definitely reviled because he's a bad guy. But the way he delivers that's part of what drove me so fucking nuts about his character is that the way he makes his humor is not look at me, I'm ridiculous like what Meryl Streep is trying to do. He is trying to make zingers. Right. He's trying to. But I think the joke is how crazy awful these zingers are because of them being at the expense of all of humanity. I, I, I can't say I agree with your interpretation, but I'm also not sure it matters enough, really, to sure. quibble about yeah. this this one thing. Um. I have other complaints that I think also don't mean much in the scheme of, of this movie. Like I'm sure NASA has a system for doing this. I don't know why, like some students at university of Michigan were doing it. Like I'm actually certain NASA has a, as a thing that does this. Um, They don't need to do it. Does what? That looks for asteroids heading towards earth. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, which is why space, like, space is really big. Yeah, but I, I, I'm also sure that if something was was that close, they, <coughs> they, they probably would have found. 
Um, again, not, not, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not a huge gripe. Um, the fact that a, a big gripe for me, um, the fact that they went on the campaign trail <laughs> was ridiculous. Exactly. That was ridiculous. The campaign, the election, I should say, would be happening in November. The world was ending in April. Yeah, that's the point. What do you mean that's the point? That's what's crazy about it is that they are campaigning and using this situation to you know gather votes and gather you know no no i'm talking about when leonardo dicaprio and jennifer lawrence start going on the campaign trail Uh, they're not campaigning to run for office they're just campaigning campaigning for politicians like it's so dumb politician whatever convention political convention they were at yes there was was just a concert that was just a fundraiser that they were doing like a hey let's raise awareness for everything that's fucking going on that's not a political campaign. Are you sure? I could have sworn that was like a like a CPAC or or, or uh, whatever the liberal equivalent is type of convention. No, the one that Meryl Streep and Jonah Hill were at probably was. It might have just been its own campaign event, but they weren't like campaigning for office in any way. That was just them saying, hey, people, let's fucking understand what's going on here. The sky is falling, literally. We need to fucking do something here. Oh, all right, sure. <laughs> it really doesn't matter much because, again, yeah. so much of this just amounts to undirected anger. I, that I, I really, I just don't, I don't, it didn't play. Like Leonardo DiCaprio goes on the equivalent of Sesame street and starts screaming and swearing and Sesame street aired that like I, I, none, none of it. But we like, I, I, look, I get it from Adam McKay's perspective. I too have anger that has no direction because of the circumstances in which we currently have to operate as a society because your politicians don't give a fuck about you. And everyone's concerned with the bottom line that has any ability to make any decisions. And so there's really nowhere for you to turn to because your politicians don't give a fuck. And what else can you really do? I get it. That is not an interesting movie. Okay. This movie essentially amounts to, I am mad about the way things are. And yeah. And so I'm just watching it like, yeah, I'm mad about that too. This is not a creative way to demonstrate it. And also, man, it's not funny. I will agree to disagree. Yeah, but you agree to disagree is not an interesting conversation. No, it's not. But what else are we going to do here? It's been like three weeks since I've seen this movie. I, I don't remember I, enough details to argue. Uh, well, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I, I think the more interesting parts about this are the parts that do not incorporate Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence at all. Because, and I think that's one of the big failings of the movie is that their purpose really is to just be logic and reason. And they are the ground of here is how we are going, what is going to happen, and we need to do something to prevent it. The thing is, those people are not good subject material for an entire movie because their arcs don't really have anywhere to go. Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be saying the same thing from minute one of the movie to minute Wow, Jesus, to uh, 160 because it's the truth and the truth is not horribly interesting for two and a half hours, which is one of the reasons they forced in this affair that ended up having attempting to have some emotional weight behind his character because otherwise there wouldn't be any because I don't think they realized that he shouldn't have been the main character of the movie. Uh, like that, that's who not else, the guy. Who else would it be? The more interesting points really are all the side characters because then you have more room to actually make a point about something like the uh, what's his fucking name? Mark Rylance as uh, Peter Isherwell. 
and his relationship with Meryl Streep in that he gets to be there when they like push all the buttons and stuff and he gets to make some decisions. Um, by far, one of the more interesting points the movie could have made. And yeah, it makes it a little bit, but it, the sole use of subtlety in this movie is to brush past by far the most interesting dynamic that this film attempts to replicate, which is between large corporate entities and the United States government. And instead, it kind of just brushes past it in the dialogue and only shows it a little bit in the two scenes with actual space missions. Hmm. I don't know if I agree. I think I'd much prefer to watch the plight of people trying to fight the political complex rather than watch, you know, Steve Jobs just tickle the balls of Donald Trump for two hours and just I, I think it's more compelling to go through this story on the side of the underdog rather than hey look at how our government and how all of these major corporations that we use for literally everything in our lives just completely fuck us over ad nauseum and here's how they do it I mean that's essentially what you're getting from a different perspective though by following around the heroes they just have no actual story to them it's the plight against it it's the but they're also their plight really is not against the u.s government they spend no time interacting with the u.s government which is one of the points that they again try to make in this film is that the u.s government is woefully unavailable to them because it is inconvenient for them to be so they spend most of their time on uh talk shows and at newspapers and trying to be on TV. Yeah, I guess, yeah. And I, 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 I gotta, it's slightly an aside, I guess. Uh, the way that Adam McKay portrayed women in this movie is also just wildly bizarre to me. Um, I will agree because with you on that. Yeah. Every female character in this movie is horrible. Yeah. And their portrayal of them is hard. We finally have a female president and they make him, they make her literally just Donald Trump. There's a female uh, news broadcaster that uh, was part of the morning show, also only ever morning shows. Um, and she is uh, just like a hoe, essentially. And they make the other female character have, you know, she's made the discovery. It's Jennifer Lawrence. She, she, she did the thing. She's smart. And they make her psychotic looking in every television appearance. And the part of the point there being she's right. Like, and her emotion is absolutely justified, but she's not telling the people the right way. And so they're not listening to her. And it's just a weird fucking way to portray women in, in such a, such three such areas of great prominence uh, in which none of them are really good. Mm. I don't necessarily disagree with you. It, it leaves a hell of a lot to be desired. Um, what did you think about uh, Ariana Grande in this movie? Why was Ariana Grande in this movie? I actually, the only time I think I laughed in this movie was during the song she sings at the concert that I thought was genuinely fun, genuinely funny. I don't remember how it goes, but I do remember enjoying it. She, it was, there was like a, it was jokey lyrics, you know, but she was taking it very seriously. Like she was doing it super duper straight. And it was, I, I thought it was actually genuinely pretty funny. Kid Cudi, though, did not need to be in this movie. Now, I say that as a man who does enjoy Kid Cudi as a person, but he did not need to be in this movie. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, I get what they were trying to say, and I get why they were trying to say it with those two characters and them being infinitely more marketable and what people want to give a shit about rather than, you know, the actual ending of the world. But the characters themselves were, they were all right. They, they didn't move the needle. Yeah, it also felt like a little bit of an old man complaining about this young generation, especially in the beginning where uh, Kid Cudi proposes over a morning show interview. Um, 
via satellite. Like it, it, it felt very much so like an old man complaining about kids these days and in, in, in how I, I viewed it. But again, whatever, who cares? Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I hated Ron Perlman in this. I never hate Ron Perlman in anything. I love Ron Perlman. I wish Ron Perlman worked more in, in, in big feature products like this. And I hated him in this movie. He was absolutely ridiculous of a character. They all were. I get that, but <laughs> him especially was like, I just, I couldn't get over him as a character. I didn't dislike it. I'm just saying like that just was like, this is outrageous. The rest were outrageous, but at least could see where they were coming from. Him was just, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Okay. I also, I, I can't believe it took him about, I think, an hour of screen time to get to the idea that you can still mine the asteroid after it blows up. And but they had to do it the approved way, so they couldn't blow up the asteroid and then send out those drones to go do some mining. They had to, they had to do the blow up the way they wanted to do it, and then go mine the debris afterwards. Say that again. What part of the question? Part of Peter Ishwell's thing was, you know, they're about to go blow up the thing. And yeah. with, you know, with Ron Perlman at the helm and everyone's like, yeah, we're going to do it. We did it. And it's only like an hour 20 into the movie. And you're like, oh, well, this isn't going to work. And they turn all the rockets around. And yeah. it turns out it's because there's uh, there's gold in, in on that asteroid, Jerry. Gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cal and I turn to each other and go, fucking go get it after you blow up the goddamn asteroid. Like, what, is, what does this matter? We that, That's not a hard thing to do. Uh, and they don't make that point. And then about an hour later, they go, all right, we're going to go blow up the asteroid a different way. And then Peter Ishwell is going to go get all the gold out of the asteroid. And it's like, yeah, did you just realize you could do that? How, how long has it been? Months? Days? That was very obvious from the beginning. And also changes nothing. It's space. Go get it later. Wherever it's going, it's not going very fast. <laughs> I just, yeah. Uh, what, I honestly, I'm still just trying to think back of what their actual plan was, whether it was to break it up into smaller pieces and let it hit Earth without destroying it so they can mine it, or if they were just like, yeah, we'll send somebody out to go get it later. No, their plan was no. to was to do a second expedition later to go mine the broken up bits because part of the problem if you blow it up and then let it hit Earth is that there's a burn rate to things that enter the atmosphere, you know, and that's part of the other thing. And look, I, I understand not every science fiction movie needs to get into the weeds on things. I I get it. I'm, that's why I have not brought this up as a complaint, even though it is a complaint. I get it. But everything that enters the atmosphere has a burn rate, and usually the burn rate's pretty high. So most things that are of decent size in space by the time they hit earth are the size of pebbles because so much debris gets literally just burned down and incinerated during its enter entrance from orbit. Um, And so I would assume the reason they don't want to explode the rocket, explode the asteroid, and then let those pieces hit earth is that if there's gold in those chunks, then they might be subject to being immolated uh, on entrance. So their plan was to blow it up in space and then go mine it, which was the plan they could have had a few months ago. And I, I, I don't, I don't get how it took them that long to realize that. It's very obvious, and I, it's not like the movie was trying to make a, that that point. It seemed like the writers didn't realize that could happen months ago. If anything, what they should have done is Peter Ishwell knowing what the plan is ahead of time, sending out his rockets right after the government sent out their rockets 
to go mine this asteroid right away. That would be his play, using insider government information to make a profit quicker. If that was even remotely possible, and if they just wanted to have the story be very different. Oh, and that's and then that's the other thing that 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 got me about this movie. So there's six months until the asteroid comes up, uh, but the president already has a spending bill uh, approved from both sides of Congress. And like uh, she says that, and it's been like a week. So she just she, that's not even how that works. Yeah, how long that process takes? It takes it takes weeks. It takes months. Yeah, even if they everyone the, agrees. Not when the world is ending. And then they I just that, what? They just have the rockets. She said. I think that was something they even said, where it was like, "Yeah, we'll be able to push this through because nobody's going to say no to saving the planet for a spending bill." It's a blank check that she gets to write. Oh no, I'm aware, but my my point is that the parliamentary procedures of the U.S. government don't allow for things to happen that fast. I imagine there are. Josh, this is not a movie meant to be representative of how the checks and balances of the U.S. government work. Well, that's the thing is, I feel like it kind of should be, and in some parts would be, but then it decides not to be. I think Blazing Saddles is not a representative documentary on how the U.S. West was what I, I don't even know where I'm going with it. I'm just saying, like, I don't think that's where your expectations should lie. No, because Blazing Saddles is a good movie. <laughs> and this is shit. Let's just get this quick. Yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 I just did not enjoy this ride in the slides. I very much enjoyed this ride. Well... I'm giving right. it a four, Josh. I'm giving I, it a four. I, I want you to, to just answer me the question sure. of why Jennifer Lawrence got a job in this movie. As in probably because she still needs to pay bills to eat. She was living with her parents. So did you not have a job when uh, you lived at home? I did. I know yeah, you of did. Of, of course I did. Uh, I had to pay back like student loan bills and shit. She knows student, the world is ending. You, Why you does she care? Student, you think student loans are being forgiven just because the world is ending? No, but I I'm saying that if so, I knew my debts weren't going to matter in a matter of anywhere between four to zero months, because again, this movie does not present you any concept of time. I would just say, fuck it. My credit doesn't matter. I'm going to die. Uh, You know what, Josh? I don't give a shit. I don't. It's not something that even remotely affected my enjoyment of this film while watching it, so I don't care. Oh, that it took me so far out of the movie, especially because it once again asked I had forced me to ask the question of how much time do you have left? Because again, not brought up anywhere between the six month mark and the 25 day mark. No mention of how much time is left on Earth, anywhere between the discovery of the asteroid and under a month left. Zero mention of time remaining. You are a curmudgeon. I'm a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've complained enough. Let's do final ratings and reviews. You already said your star ratings. Just give me your reason, you dumb bitch. And we'll move, we'll it's move funny, on and I enjoyed it, and I finished watching it, and I said, I would watch this again. Uh, th- this is... I've made this comparison a few times. I, I'm not sure if on this show, but definitely in my regular life of, um, like, protest songs and Vietnam songs uh, is that they have to be really, really good because otherwise it's just this very specific time capsule that no one's going to open on their own. Like, if you're going to make a protest song, it's going to have to be like, like Bob Dylan has a bunch of them. But people still listen to them as songs because they're good songs in addition to their protests still being fought or that their messages still be received. They're, they're, they're good. But there's a whole bunch of artists that made protest songs back in the 60s and 70s that no one remembers anymore because political music has a shelf life if it's not also very, very good. This movie has a shelf life. 
political commentary films and television shows will also die at some point if they don't maintain the relevancy by being absolutely top notch. Mr. Smith goes to Washington, for instance. This will not. This is very bad. This is a this is a one star movie. Don't watch this. Don't waste your time. This is bad. Meryl Streep should get shot into the sun for agreeing to this. Uh, technically, she was shot towards a star um, and then uh, got what was coming to her by just a, a giant ostrich biting her head off. There's so many things that. that bothered me about the, the, the physics of this movie, but whatever. It's not worth it. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about Honey Boy. It came out in 2019. It was directed by Alma Harrell. It was written by Shia LaBeouf. It stars Shia LaBeouf as well as Lucas Hedges and Noah Jupe. Uh, this I film, he directed this too, but I guess I'm wrong. He did not direct this. Uh, this film had an estimated budget of, oh boy, who knows, um, I'm, I'm looking again, uh, 3.5 million. Uh, sure. And a cumulative worldwide gross of 3.4 million. So yeah, it, it didn't make its money back, but, uh, it's also an Amazon film. So it's tough to again, get a picture. This was a theatrical release, but it's tough to really know the full breadth of how much money it made. If it's also a streaming services film, the tagline of this movie is sweet as honey. Eh, that's fine. I'm okay with it. I'm a big fan of too, yeah. What? What? I, I don't have the energy for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this film was, was not nominated for any Academy Awards, which I remember thinking was interesting at the time because it, it really felt like it should have. It didn't get nominated for any Golden Globes or anything either. Um, it was a winner at Sundance for a special jury prize uh, for Alma Harrell. It was also nominated for the grand jury prize for Alma Harrell. Um, but uh, a bunch of smaller awards nominations, nothing nothing big. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, this film is about a young actor's stormy childhood and early adult years as he struggles to reconcile with his father and deal with his mental health. Corwin, this was your pick. You can get us started. Um, again, I, I enjoyed this movie. I don't know how that response is going to uh, go over, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really nice, I guess, expressionistic representation of Shia LaBeouf's relationship with his dad. I don't know if that's a proper English sentence, but I'm going with it. Um, I don't think this was anything truly special. I mean, there was nothing about it that made me think, you know, that made me cry or made me, you know, feel like this was going to be a, a significant film of fucking Jesus Christ. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with these sentences. Um, I thought it was really enjoyable and I thought it was insightful about Shia LaBeouf and his life. I don't think it's a groundbreaking film in any way. And I, I I don't really know what else to say about it. I I really enjoyed this. I I loved it when it first came out on upon rewatch. Yeah, I still fucking love it. I still think it's a great film that is also wildly interesting from an emotional perspective because, you know, seeing Shia LaBeouf play his own father, uh, mm -hmm. a man that he did not have a, a great relationship with from what we can understand from the, from the movie and was quite a a character. That, that greatly shaped his experience with the entertainment industry as well as, you know, just becoming who he is. He's a, a parent has a tendency to do that. Um, really psychologically must have been quite a ride and quite a, I don't know, therapeutic experience or at least mm -hmm. an emotional journey type of experience. And I, I think that this is honestly a special type of movie because there's, there's, there's not a lot of these stories that get told in, in film about, child actors especially one with such the personal touch and this really has you know and it doesn't just show the child actor experience on set it shows how really there's not a lot of money in this movie they're living in like a, a, a motel for all intents and purposes 
his dad sucks so bad that he's that, that this boy is in the the Big Brother program. You know, like it's it shows an interaction with affection really? and love, and sex, and and to a certain extent, uh, drugs with 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 you know cigarettes and and with drinking, and to intersperse that with the present day, you know, quote unquote present day shots of Lucas Hedges as the as the older version of the boy, you know, coming to grips with his alcoholism and his rage and how to properly process his emotions because he hasn't gotten the opportunity when he was a kid, I think really make, you know, those early on scenes feel extra effective in a way that your typical alcoholic redemption story um, doesn't necessarily, I don't know, hit all those notes on its own. I, I think this really did a phenomenal job of what they were trying to accomplish. And a lot of it on the back of, Child actor Noah Jupe, he does a phenomenal job in this. I've really enjoyed the characters and how, I guess I should say, the actors and how they portrayed the character of Charlotte Buff. Um, who, who was the big brother when they showed him the big brother program? I don't remember that part. Uh, the dude that, that uh, Shia LaBeouf shoves in the water? In the pool, dude. The Shia LaBeouf throws in the pool. He makes him a burger, and he was like, "Fuck you! Do you think you can be my kid's dad? Suck a dick, bitch." Oh, I thought that was like the mom's boyfriend. No, no, no. He's from the Big Brother program. Oh, geez. Okay, I was all over the place then. Yeah. Um, like I'm, I don't want you to take me saying I don't think this is a truly special movie to be to take away from the performance and the fact that for the introspective that we get the introspection that we get on Shia LaBeouf and his life it's just more of you know from a technical sense this isn't anything special I don't think the story itself is special the emotional connection and the emotional just rawness of this film I think absolutely should be considered special um I couldn't imagine any other actor putting himself out there and being able to perform this role. I just could not picture any other person that I can just regularly think back on and is a, a mainstay in you know modern film doing this the way Shia LaBeouf was able to accomplish this. I just think he's a very special in his own right, uh, just performer and <laughs> character himself, and just love the way he was able to just put his life out there and just say, hey, I have gone through the fucking ringer. You all know exactly the shit that I've done in my life since becoming a star in Hollywood this is why I am the way I am and I love it. Like it's eight mile to the extreme. It's a good eight mile. What is, um, what was, what was your experience with, with shallow buff? Did you, did you grow up with, with shallow buff? I grew up with him in even Stevens in holes. Um, yeah. Transformers just, yeah. From the get go. He's okay. always been a star star to me. Cause he's just always been at the forefront of, whatever my demographic was into at the time yeah i must have it, seen it, holes at least a dozen times i don't, I don't know how, how how you couldn't see holes less than a dozen times it's a phenomenal fucking fucking movie that's that's the t i but i i remember i loved even stevens when i was a kid and i remember watching um fuck what was it called he played like a he was in a movie disturbia it which was like um, a Rear Window remake, basically. I remember watching that solely because Shia LaBeouf was in it, because I loved him as the that zany brother and even Steven so much. Um, and then you know he did like Transformers and you know there was a couple other like action movies in there I think that I never really watched, but yeah, he was all over the place. Um, and I I think I I w I would imagine. Anyway, that this film probably works if you don't know Shia LaBeouf mm -hmm. and are just watching this as a movie. But this really 
I think is very effective also knowing Shia LaBeouf because it gives mm-hmm. you like if you and I'm not saying you have to know Shia it's LaBeouf. It's very well. different if you do or do not know Shia LaBeouf. Right. Or at the very least, if you understand even Stevens, because yeah. it this film does not show a lot of what that even Stevens style show is at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the sense it's zany and it's wacky. He's covered in pie, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, but it doesn't really get into it much because that's not what the movie's about. You just need to kind of know he's a child actor. But I think if you grew up watching the show, knowing how wacky of a character Shia LaBeouf played on it really helps kind of inform how much this this child had to compartmentalize because that show is full of such energy, so much, you know, like manic, frenetic energy that you interpret as being clearly the spirit of someone who is happy. And then it contrasts so sharply with what you see in this movie, which is I then went home as Shia LaBeouf to a motel with a father who uh, made fun of how strong my dick was when I peed uh, and made me buy him cigarettes. No, um, he was calling him uh, a tiny dick uh, Nancy. Yeah, some some weird shit like dick. that. Yeah. And got to be the, the uh, intermediary in my parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, understanding even just that little bit having you know grown up with Ian Stevens or whatever really helps drive home the emotional point um, or some of the emotion of this film you know really that this kid had to grow up super fast honestly I never even put together that that show was meant to be even Stevens I always kind of thought it was predating that era you know, just like, oh, like these are commercials or bits or whatever that we're doing. Now seeing that being even Stevens and then also how the father on that show treated him the way, you know, the father from even Stevens treated his character. It's it's just heartbreaking. This, this movie is just so heartbreaking at times. Just how this is someone we grew up with and almost looked up to in a way as we were growing up, who was just, again, going through the fucking rigor. I, I mean, it really is. And, you know, it, it's, I think, tough often to find a lot of new stories in Hollywood about Hollywood. And we oftentimes, like Corwin and I personally, lampoon a lot of films about Hollywood because they just seem like they're fucking jerking it off. Whether it's about literally film production or about um, actors, you know, films about actors, films about writers, whatever, it can feel very love letterish to it. And it can feel very played out, you know, like, like when we watched, um, Oh fuck that uh, movie about the guy who wrote uh, uh, fuck citizen Kane uh, Mank. When we watched Mank. Uh-huh. Um, which wasn't a bad movie. It's just like, yeah, we get it. He was an alcoholic. He wrote a movie. Yeah, we, we, we got it. Uh, everyone was very good in this. Nice. Um, this manages to, I mean, really be essentially, in terms of what it's covering, a rather similar type of film. Here's a, 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 a an actor dealing with alcoholism, rough past, you know, grew up in film, and it feels very new or at least it feels very different from the type of story we're typically getting. And a lot of that's due to the fact that it does not spend a lot of time focusing on the Hollywood aspects of this and instead spends a lot of time focusing on, you know, this one relationship, you know, this father son relationship and really how much we want to like our parents or at least get along with our parents, even when they are fucking awful. Mm -hmm. Because that's what this movie is. Yeah. I mean, by all means, there is no true love between that father and son, at least the way you would expect to see it and should express it to your child. But, you know, because he is a small child who grew up with him as his role model, he needs to earn that love even more and just... (sighs) 
fight. Well, he's, he's at that, that crossroads between like yeah. love and and uh, I guess understanding your dad's a piece of shit. You know, like, like the conversations yeah. they have around money. You know, like in the very beginning of the movie, his dad says something to the effect of, uh, "I'm here because I believe in you. Your mother works a job because she doesn't believe in you, and she's hedging her bets that you fail. But I'm here not working." Because I believe in you. And then later on in the movie, like, you know, uh, Otis is the kid's name, uh, like make, makes more of a point of being like, you're my employee, you fucking dumb bitch. And that's really like him having to navigate the manipulation of his father while also, you know, forcing to himself to distance from him because he sucks. And he has to come to terms with that. Uh, the manipulation of a 12-year-old kid. Good, good. Actually, nine. He was nine in this. Like taking money from a child. Wait. Uh. Yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 it's one kid's journey from Milan to Mintz. I, I mean, um, it's... <laughs> it's... um. That's really the movie. I, I mean, there's get into I guess plot points if we felt like it, but I mean that's really it is is him and and his his father, and it's interesting how how insane of a character Shia LaBeouf is playing. Did it feel like Shia LaBeouf to you? To an extent, it did. Yeah. Because I kept having to remind myself it's it's because it, it's a character that has such quirks and whatnot that I you can tell was a real person, like like his slightly stuffed nose that's clearly you know probably like damaged from doing a lot of blow, like that 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 felt like this was my dad. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm I'm taking this. I'm not making a character choice here. This is this is a man. That right. existed. Those are choices you make when you know a character so intimately. There's no acting; it's just portraying. Right, like when uh when Mark Ruffalo had that walk in um mm-hmm. fox fox hunter fox catcher, like yeah. you could tell, like oh that's not just Mark Ruffalo kind of just doing that. Like that guy had that walk. Um, mm-hmm. That's what this feels like. Dave like, Schultz. Sure, that sounds good enough. Um, was Dave Schultz? <laughs> wow, that's honestly, Corwin. That's the most impressed I've ever been by you. <laughs> it's fucking wrestling, dude. <laughs> fucking bowling, dude. <laughs> bowling, dude. Over the line. Over um, the line, Smokey. <laughs> Market zero. Fucking eight-year-olds, dude. But you know, I pick, and that's one of the things. That's one of the things that really keeps like knocking me back, especially with so wild is that not only is he acting as his dad, he's doing it while looking at a kid who's acting as him. And that's the part of it that I I, I kept finding so engaging about the film is like, I'm looking at this kid understanding that this is a, in in certain ways, a representation of Shia LaBeouf. And then the camera would pan to his father. And I would think, Oh man, his dad's a Shia LaBeouf's dad's a real dick to Shia LaBeouf. And they're going like, fuck that is Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) Like, it, it, I kept having to. Man, there's so himself. much Shia LaBeouf happening in this film. I kept having to remind myself that it's Shia LaBeouf was also in this film. It's all Shia LaBeouf. We are all Shia LaBeouf. It's all. It's all Shia LaBeouf, Maury. It's all everything. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf on the cob. Oh, yeah, I found it. I, I found it very engaging, and it, maybe it it shouldn't take background knowledge of any kind to engage with a film this much, even though, again, not a lot of background knowledge, I think, is required to get additional insight here, but background knowledge nonetheless. So I, I can see knocking some points off for that in, in certain capacity, but I yeah, I really enjoy it. I, I really, really liked this movie. Yeah, I agree. Four out of five. You know what? You know what, buddy? Fucking you know what, buddy? I'm giving it a four, too. Hell yeah. Bam. I'm getting it four Daves out of Schultz. 
four Dave Schultz arenas. Uh, yeah, buddy. That's where we're fucking at. Um, all right. Well, that's this week's flicks. Uh, Corwin, what do you got for next week? Oh, boy. I went with Capote. Yes. What? Capote. I thought we were picking this year. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot. I already picked it. Uh, McFab. Okay, that's what I thought you were. Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. Halfway through the show, and by halfway, I mean like 15 minutes ago, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I forgot to pick a movie. And then just opened up HBO and was like, all right, what movies are out? And it was out. I forgot we already picked it before we started. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, all right. I, uh, by the way, Tragedy of Macbeth, um, which is on Apple TV Plus, is a nominee for, or actually, hold on, I have the Globes up already because, again, the nominees are not just done. They're, the awards happened already. Uh, it was nominated for um, Best Actor for Denzel Washington. Uh, he did not win, uh, but it was nominated for it. And it was also nominated for Best Director for Kenneth Branagh. Um, I don't feel like scrolling through the Golden Globes, like, nine pages of award winners, but let's say he didn't win either, because why not? Um, So check that out. I'm going to go with another Globes nominee slash potential Oscar nominee, uh, which will be The Lost Daughter, which is the Olivia Coleman film that she was nominated for. Uh, and that one can be found on Netflix. Cool. So check them, check them. Oh, this was the Maggie Gyllenhaal movie in her directorial debut. Yeah, I did want to see this. Yeah. All right. I'm feeling even better about my pick now. Ooh, yeah. Good pick. I've heard um, that before. Yeah. It. Look, man, we have to run into a good Globes movie that we both agree on <laughs> at some point. <laughs> there's, uh, there's the key, Josh. We don't. We technically don't. Corwin, some movie has to be good. (laughs) They don't have to be. Uh, All right. Well, anyway, if you want to follow the show uh, on Twitter, you can use a big screen juice and I'll post from there. But go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, If you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at uh, juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And until next week, I hope I cannot see lines. Uh, Y'all have a good one.